Hiyas. Hey, Paul. Hiyas. Hi, hi, Paul. How you doing? Good. I'm good. Uh, beautiful day outside. Gorgeous. Yeah. So um, we're in. We're in the studio today. Every time we come in, it seems to be roasting outside, but that's okay. Uh, so we were just talking about the amount of uh, professions we've had on the podcast so far. So we've had a good few. We've had uh, directors, producers, actors. Uh, we're hoping to get, uh, we're trying to get everyone in, so we're looking at kind of casting agents and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, festival people, I think people get a lot out of, like, you know, festival programmers mm. and uh, people who commission D- things Distributors, as well. things like yeah, that. that. I mean, if, if, if we're missing out on anything or, you know, you know, a really cool locations manager or, or something, give us a shout and we'll, we'll get them on. Equally, if you don't feel represented uh, in your part of the country... Um, maybe up the north or you know in Galway out west out in the west down the yeah so yeah we 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 have no major plans yet but or no concrete plans but we would love to kind of get on the road and do some road trips and maybe so if you if there's people who would like to be interviewed in Galway or people you think we should be talking to let us know yeah, absolutely. At uh, film uh, FNI rap chat at gmail.com. Yeah. You can get us on our social networks Instagram uh, forward slash film network Ireland. Uh, you can also buy us a coffee. Uh, yes, if you, you can. If you enjoy the show and you get a lot out of it uh, and if, and all the stuff that FNI do. Uh, so but, it's uh, Buy me a coffee. You may be wondering what, I- what that is. is uh, it's a Patreon type environment. So you can be a patron of ours. And if you want to go to uh, www. Buymeacoffee.com uh, forward slash FNI. Uh, yep. Yeah, and buy us a coffee. And if we see you on the street, we'll return the favor. And if you don't have a few quid to buy a coffee, uh, one of the best things you can do is just recommend the show to a friend. Um, sub- make sure you're subscribed. Uh, we're just trying to get the show out to as many people as possible. Yeah, and share uh, the bejesus out of it. Yeah, uh, and we hope you're finding it useful. So, um, yeah. News? News. News, yeah. So, uh, big news this <laughs> week. The Irish Film Board is now called Screen Ireland. Uh, and I guess the idea is to kind of encompass uh, TV development and that kind of thing as well. Which yeah, cross-media uh, projects, they seem to be embracing, uh, you know, the whole new uh, world. Yeah, yeah. It's not just film, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, really greatly appreciated. Very uh, positive, yeah. People who work in lots of different... Uh, Different mediums, I'm sure, are very excited by this. More opportunities, more money. Well, maybe l- the same money, but divided <laughs> in a different capacity. But it's yeah. wonderful and fair play to the lads. The branding's nice and everything else. Um, yeah. What else? So, uh, mm, we've got some exciting things for Film Network Ireland, but Actually, nothing we can, we can talk announce about those now. yes. Um, but we, you know, in the next few weeks, keep. Uh, keep your eyes peeled yeah. Uh, so yeah we were talking about the different roles we've had so far we have our first editor on the show uh, Nathan Nugent what an editor um, wow has done the last uh, w- that sounded slightly sarcastic I wasn't being sarcastic <laughs> but genuinely no, well. uh, amazing editor has worked on some of the best films of the last few years in, in my opinion mm-hmm. um, on Lenny Abramson's room and uh, most of Lenny's pro- uh, projects for the last few years Um I, he gave us a really good conversation, very interesting, just about uh, kind of like how to prepare for post-production and how to approach it and that kind of thing. And um, to remember that it's, you know, to have fun with things. Yeah, the play is the thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, always. Um, and even the, even the people who, I, I guess, create the most serious thematic work you know, create a nice environment. Be nice to people. Yeah. You know, um, it's yeah. kind of what I picked up from this one. Without giving too much away. But yeah, I guess uh, enjoy Nathan Nugent. Thank you very much for coming in, Nathan Nugent. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. You're very good. Thank you. <laughs> what stage are you in at the moment? Are you, have you, you've just finished a project. Um, finished a, f- a project last week um, called The Little Stranger. Um, that's the fourth film I have been lucky enough to do with Lenny, Lenny yeah. Abramson. So, um, yeah, it's been a 
it's been quite a busy two years, really, um, or 18 months or so. I was in London a lot last year working on a film called Disobedience, um, which went from January up until I think it was around mid-June. Yeah. Um, and that then went straight into, we went straight into Little Stranger. Actually, there was a little bit of crossover. So Little yeah. Stranger started shooting as I was as we were mixing that film. So okay. <clears throat> there was a little bit of back and forth between two. I was cutting, kind of yeah. assembling The Little Stranger yeah. kind of at nighttime or early in the morning and then doing the day job on Disobedience before I was officially then on Little Stranger. Okay. Little Stranger took longer. We have a little we have a little pull out pull out bed if, if that would be <laughs> useful. <laughs> Actually, I, no, I, it's funny because you know, you, I don't know where you seem to find this energy from strange places but yesterday like having not worked for like a week now i i found myself just nodding off like a 70 year old man on a bus <laughs> and it was like four o'clock in the afternoon and I, and I thought this is this is obviously my life now yeah, you know yeah. so your yeah. body's just going okay i can get yeah or something. it's really strange anyway I, I remember when i was in college i, I worked in um i used to work in this uh one summer in Montauk, actually, on Long Island, I worked in a deli. And the the, the woman who owned the place, she used to go back to the, where, to the warehouse at the back of the deli and she used to say, this is what I need to do. I need to take my power nap. And she'd literally close her eyes for two minutes, go into a deep state of, you know, I don't know what it was, sleep. <laughs> yeah. And then was, was able to snap herself out of it after two minutes. And it was just, I was like, oh, I could never do that because yeah. I was... You know, people who fall asleep during the day, I just go, I just feel sick after it. But now I'm starting to see <laughs> the purpose of all of that behaviour. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It all makes sense. Yeah. And Lenny, you, you're you usually on set when he's shooting, is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, often it depends on the film. Um, mm. Sometimes a film might be so low budget, they just want you to stay in Dublin or in right. London or wherever you're based yeah. and just assemble from there. But I've, on all of Lenny's films, bar Frank, actually. Frank was the only one where I didn't go to the States mm. for the two weeks that they were in the States because the rest of the shoot was all Ireland-based, so it made far more sense for me to stay here. But on Room, I was in Toronto for the full two or two and a half, three months. Okay. And, I mean, that was very different because the first half of the shoot was all studio and I was just in a room above the studio, so... It was like a very good kind of back and forth between myself and Lenny and showing him stuff very, very early in the process and, okay. and seeing how things move along. And similarly on Disobedience, I was in London and was shooting in London. Um, and on Little Stranger, I was London-based and it was shooting around Watford and a little bit up in Yorkshire. So, yeah, I, I, I've tended to travel a lot more. I mean, it's funny, quite often you'll only get time with a director at the weekends. Yeah. But there is something good about being there on on, on, on on room, and I did a little bit of second unit stuff, just pickups as that were needed as we went along, and little stranger, a small bit of that as well. So yeah, you try and make yourself useful because the window of shooting is so limited, yeah. and you know you really try and make the most of what you're you're best guessing a lot of the time. You know, right. like you get a sense of how the story's coming together, but. Particularly with Lenny, Lenny very much respects the editing process and how long it takes to put to really mine a film and, and see what's under the hood. Yeah, and so you know he would he 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 understands that like you know it's about accumulation and it's about giving it the best shot early on, but but also he knows there's a whole other stage to filmmaking which is after the shoot, you know, and and sometimes that's just like a, a number of times longer than the actual shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we just caught the trailer this week. Yeah. Uh, so is it safe to say, <laughs> yeah. safe to call it a, a, a horror or a, I wouldn't what call have it you been calling it? Yeah. I wouldn't call it a horror film yeah. only because I wouldn't like to give people false expectations regarding things like jump scares and things okay. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's certainly an atmospheric film. And it's certainly a chiller, if I mm. could use that word. Yeah. But I wouldn't call it a horror film. It, it's, there's not really, it's not a particularly gory film, albeit there are a couple of scenes which are bloody. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's really, you know, 
and I'm sure this is something Lenny's going to have a fun time <laughs> doing as he goes on as he goes on the um, publicity That's trail yeah. soon. Is just how much can you say about a film like this without mm. a giving something away and b not making it seem like something that it isn't. You know. Okay. So, mm. so I mean. I suppose, how would I describe... I would describe it best as a story of a man who gets into a situation that he maybe should have walked away from. And and the film is ultimately about what that situation uncovers regarding his own life, his background, and his engagement with these people. So that is probably something you don't get from the trailer. But right. ultimately, that's the journey you're on. So okay. Hashtag spoiler alert. Well, yeah. <laughs> no. I hope not. No, I, no, hope, I'm I kidding, hope I haven't. Kidding. I think that was a... Yeah. No, it's yeah, so careful yeah. not to give yeah, it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's certainly atmospheric. It doesn't go... To, it, it, it's an, it's an, unu- an unusual journey. Anyone who's read the book will know that anyway. Mm. Um, uh, and it's, you know... It's within the framework of a kind of genre piece. Yeah. And the world of the film is very familiar to anyone who's grown up with, you know, uh, films based in, in, in that period in Britain. Mm. I mean, it is a really, really interesting time. And it's fascinating that, that you know, the subtext of the film is, is really relevant to possibly politically what Britain is going through right now as right. well. Like but never in a heavy-handed way, you know, just yeah. post-war Britain... The decline of one way of life, yeah. The the beginning of a new way of life in Britain, yeah. and so on. And so yeah. there's all those changes reflected in it yeah. behind what is essentially a genre film, you know. So, yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, as with all Lenny's choices in terms of the films he makes, you know, he'll never go for one. He'll always, uh, he's always attracted to films that ultimately uh, challenge him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and hence for me, that's on the four films we've worked on, it's been an incredible experience. I've learned so much yeah. because of, I've had to, you know, take part in that challenge yeah. as well, you know. And it would be a bit of a break. Was it a, was it a fun challenge doing the kind of atmospheric type of film? Yeah, it was, you know. Um, uh, and I mean, uh, very early on at the assembly stage, I think I was maybe, there were certain scenes I was leaning a little too heavily into that genre. Okay. And then he would say to me, you know, we don't need to do that yet. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He just go, no, let's just play it real. And that's quite scary at the same time. So you're looking, you know, it's it's not a film with a visible monster. It's not a film with a, you know, somebody lurking in the shadows with a knife in their hands. Mm. Yeah. So how do you, um, you know, how do you put a face on evil, if you know what I mean? If evil is what is in the shadows, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's, Less is more. Yeah, a bit of that. Uh, and also just, you know, you, you had to kind of learn a slightly different language of filmmaking, you know, like, you, you know, the la- the previous film I did uh, before, just before The Disobedience was a very emotional film, mm. very much about just personal journeys of three characters. And in many ways, you know, those are challenging things because they always have to feel real and you always have to reflect that and how you put the film together. But also... They're quite malleable mm-hmm. and you can easily interchange and switch scenes and switch dialogue within scenes without it ever f- beginning to fall apart. Whereas The Little Stranger, even though we were editing it for a long, long time, the story stayed pretty much the same. So we were we were beginning to just, you know, just change emphasis in places. And that was quite profound and quite quite significant but if you watch the film like it's interesting it'd be interesting to ask somebody who watched maybe a very early cut of the film to a late cut and see how they feel those changes because we certainly felt them and it took a long time to get to those places you know but um but ultimately it's not like the end became the beginning or you know what (laughs) i mean so those changes happened you know um so yeah it was um you know it was a fascinating journey to be on actually um and you know it took the guts of a year just in editing really if wow. in, in terms of like the edit started when the shoot started and the, sh- the shoot started literally about this time last year you yeah. know so yeah and we yeah. just finished last week wow. um we might just jump back in time. let's go way back way, way back back. Yeah, <laughs> just back in time yeah <laughs> just to, how you kind of 
started editing it, kind of what was your first kind of break in editing? Yeah, um, <coughs> went to DIT, Angel Street, uh, did the communications course there. And that was a four-year course. Uh, and after year two, you'd specialise in either broadcast and radio or film, and I specialise in film. But like a lot of these courses, you'd, I tried to just jump in everywhere, did a bit of radio, did... Yeah. Uh, docs, all that stuff as well, but obviously specializing in film. And I realized in college, you know, some people might disagree with me about this, but I realized that, you know, for the during the four years in college, it was essentially a chance to get all the really bad ideas out of your system. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, really terrible, <laughs> awful ideas. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, a good, uh, there were some people in, in the year who, you know, thought directing directing was for them. I think everyone wants to Jeez, be a director. Paul, we, Paul, we must have been in college for the last fifteen or sixteen yeah. years if that's the case. <laughs> still, <laughs> still working on those ideas. Yeah. <laughs> working yeah. through the shit like yeah. well that, you know it like it, and it was interesting I, I realized that the best way to one of the best ways to learn about filmmaking was th- through editing actually. Yeah. In that in that it, whatever was shot was teaching you and you didn't necessarily have to sit, you know, you could learn the software yeah. quickly. Yeah. People do, it's on people's phones now, but actually the, what you really learn from editing is by engaging with footage, engaging with storytelling, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So uh, I realized straight up, look, I just cut everyone's shorts. What If they'd let me, anything yeah. that was going around, I just let me edit it. Yeah. So by the end of the four years, we, uh, did one thing that was just about okay after four years of okay. college <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I edited and um, uh, yeah, and that was the starting point. And then really I, I was assisting, a, came straight out of college, started assisting a, a, an editor, Stephen O'Connell, who's a great editor, um, and, and, and then went into RTE and worked there for four years. And that was an unusual jump in a way because I wanted to stay in film, mm. but also... What appealed to me was the chance to just edit a lot of stuff, right. no matter what it was. Mm-hmm. And in the four years in Orty, I got to edit mini docs, magazine programs, like lifestyle stuff, promos, trailers, music videos. I worked for MTV the odd time as kind of quietly on the side and all this stuff. It's 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 interesting. A friend of mine is an editor as well, but he has an interesting metaphor for ji- for jigsaw puzzles. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, "If your editor does not like jigsaw puzzles, yeah." Don't work with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's that's it, you know. And it's, it, it, it. I suppose in the way that writers get lost, you know, uh, in what they do, it's the very same experience with editing. Except the only difference with editing is quite often you'll need to do it with someone sitting with you. Mm. And that's the thing you're always learning mm. and always trying to get towards that kind of cognitive place, that place you get to when you're lost in putting something together like a jigsaw on your own, but also doing with, with you know, still being able to communicate to someone who's yeah. sitting beside you. you know? but, but I guess you're kind of, uh, you're striving for that symbiotic relationship in that environment. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying to, it's an unusual job in many ways in that you're trying to express yourself. Hmm. Who wouldn't, who doesn't in any creative field? But also your first job is to reflect the aims of a director and ultimately bring their vision to life. But at the same time, they're probably not employing you just to bring their vision to life. They want a bit of what's going on in your head, too. So it's about finding that mix, that that steady ground. And t- the only thing that gets you to that place is time right. and just understanding that there's no such thing as a bad idea. That sometimes, sometimes, you know, I always kind of think, you know, if you close the door on any idea too quickly, you haven't... All that all that suggestion is doing is giving you a little push into ex- exploration. And, you know, the worst kind of edit is one where you sit down and go, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then you do that and you go, I wonder why that didn't work in my head. It worked. Mm. Why doesn't it work on screen? Yeah. Like the, 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 the thing with all editing is about pushing yourself into a place where I'm not going to use the word happy accidents, but like all creativity is about going to a place where things being able to recognize when things are starting to happen 
and not being too prescriptive and not forcing it too much. And I suppose that's the great thing about working with people. I'm working with people like Lenny or, who are so just, you know, intellectually accomplished and creatively accomplished that you're able to together go to those places and start to explore and start to find. And it's not about ego and it's not about whose idea it is or anything like that. Mm. It's just about actually, look, things are starting to come to life now and in ways that neither of us expected to happen. Mm. And I think that's the joy in film in particular. Yeah, look what we discovered together. Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, <coughs> I mean, going back to your original question about where I started off, great thing about working at a place like a TV station is it teaches you the discipline of, of, things going to air tonight or tomorrow night. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so you got to, you know, live by the seat of your pants a little yeah, bit. Shit, shit or get off the pot. Well, mm. exactly. Yeah, all of that stuff. So it's a, be- it's a case of, you know, um, that was a really good thing to be thrown into early in my career, you know, rather than the reverse. I think if I'd started in film and dealt yeah. with the slightly longer timelines you get to work on stuff and then yeah. had to move to TV, it would have just traumatised me. Yeah. But, mm. but I think, you know, there are certainly really good things I learned from, from that world. And, and when I ju- started in RT, as was the way with technology, there were a lot of older editors who just were, didn't like the idea of non-linear e- linear editing, right. avids, anything like that. They were just like, no, this yeah. is yeah. too much. Uh, I'm not, or, you know, so there were opportunities for a young person who just wanted to just cut anything. So I got to accumulate a lot of experience in a very short period of time. Am I right? Did you work on Reeling in the Years? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> that was... So the producer in RTE, John O'Regan, had worked for Granada and for years. And there was a, a show called The Rock and Goal Years, okay. mm. which was football and current affairs. I think I'm correct in saying that. And the BBC had done The Rock and Roll Years pre- before that, which were clips of the time, cut to music of the time. Yeah. And he said... He just basically asked for money for a pilot, like which was like no money. Yeah, just need a really good researcher and like an editor, whoever was free. So we just the pilot was 1980, so we put that together. Now I would have been five in 1980, so yeah, or, no, it was 1981 was the pilot okay. actually, uh, and uh, uh, so we put that together and we we're like it was the best crack. Really, <laughs> it was just like just a lot of fun, and yeah. it was just me and myself and John had the same. Uh, sensibility, same sense of humour. It's the equivalent of a YouTube of black hole. I can imagine you were just sitting it there going, this totally is incredible. Is. That, was, that was the hard thing. Like, we had two weeks per episode, right. which was generous in RTE yeah. terms. Yeah. They usually wouldn't give you that. So we did that one. And then we did that. I, I think I, out of the 10, not, uh, the the first series was the 80s. I, I did eight of them. <laughs> and then they commissioned the 90s straight away. And I did all of the 90s because the 90s were like, my decade of yeah. grown up. I was fifteen in nineteen ninety, so yeah. it's just a lot of fun. And then, and then, yeah. So it felt like by the time we got to the end of that, I was like, oh, oh my god, can I do any more of these? <laughs> <laughs> but like without repeating the certain yeah, yeah. certain rhythmical things yeah, and so yeah. on. But it was like, I mean, so much fun. And like, dare I say it? I don't think they owe. Or to eat anything. Oh, at it's a hard working. <laughs> it's a hard working show <laughs> yeah. at this point. Uh, like I did some of the seventies as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like to work with John on that was just so much fun. And like, I'm sure he looks back at it. I'm like, I think John will probably want to do this decade as well. He did this, the zeros. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a few years ago as well. But he um, must be when the news is happening. He must be thinking. What tune can I put to this? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What tune will go with this? You know. Um, <laughs> Which, yeah, it was like, you know, and, and and not having voiceover to lean on and having to just go with the economy of how can this story fit into two two-line captions. Yeah, yeah. Was always an interest And also, uh, re- you know, making it fit musically as well. Yeah. Uh, was always, it was like a really good challenge, you know. Must have given you a great grounding in working with archive which can be daunting yeah sometimes. yeah it did and I, w- I went on to work on a lot of um archive based documentaries that followed particularly for mint productions who no longer exist but were started up by uh, steve carson and miriam mccallan they did amazing documentaries covering huge vast areas of irish history modern history um so like hi bertie those i didn't do hi i did yeah. bertie with right. steve okay. all four mm. episodes and that was uh that was just like quite all-consuming for right. 
four or five months of our life, you know. Yeah. And quite unusual to step into do something as biographical as that about just one person and <laughs> yeah yeah who, was, oh, not who, again. Who, who had just <laughs> as we started the documentary he was still in power and then and then he resigned as we were just putting part one together so okay. it was quite you know you felt like yeah we're doing something relevant here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and uh for Large part of your career, you kind of straddled documentary and yeah, like doing features and doing fe- drama. yeah, mainly because you know, I love documentaries and I still do, and I think they teach you so much about narrative. They teach you so much about storytelling because everything is in play until you actually say, "Right, we're locked." You know, yeah, everything is incredibly movable. Um, you got to keep your wits about you in that regard and just never go, right, that, that's done. Because it's not, it's never done, you know, until you really are able to stand back and go, things are in the right order now. And and I suppose, you know, it's it's always important to work in film with that mindset as well and not be too tied into a script and not yeah. be too loyal to a script and not say, well, this is the way, this is what the writer was looking for or this is what they intended to always see, well... You know, quite often, like in film, you'll throw away a, a scene and just go, a director might go, I don't think that scene works or so, there's, you know, it's not quite clicking for me. But there could be something in that scene. It could be just a line of dialogue. It could be a reaction. It could be a sound that somehow will make its way back into the film. Okay. And you always have to be aware of that and yeah. remember that and remember why that was important. Yeah. Even though we've lost the scene, can we use that reaction? Can we use that line? almost as a piece of ADR, all those things, you yeah. know. And documentary is very much about that. It teaches you, because you watch so, you know, you're, you could be watching hours and hours and hours of rushes. It does teach you to begin to, teaches you to be able to memorize footage, memorize cadence, yeah. how people say yeah. things, why they said it that way. Um, you're kind of building a library. In you're your building head. a library in your head, actually. And, I mean, some editors like to be, like to catalogue everything and have everything in order so they can go and refer to it. For me, it has to go into my head. I have to see it and then remember it. Right. Um, like a private detective. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be as dramatic case. as that. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it is absolutely like building a case, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and just not, let, and not letting anything slip by you and fall out of your head, you know. Um, so, yeah, like docs were a huge part for a long time. For, and, and I would still you know, happily work on documentary now. Just the last few years have just been all, luckily, have all been one feature after the next, yeah. you know. So. And the drama's like, the, what's your average kind of length? It's, I mean, the one I just did before. <laughs> the, uh, and the <laughs> duration. duration. Sorry, always with the, sorry. With the double oh, entendres. Yeah. <laughs> It, it varies. The, the film I did just before The Little Stranger, Disobedience, I think was the first film I've ever worked on. Can you give us a little bit of an insight? Yeah, tell us about it's, that? Um, it's set in London. It's set in an orthodox, orthodox Jewish community in London. Mm-hmm. And um, a the daughter, a, the local uh, Rav, rabbi has just died. His daughter, who was estranged, has come back to bury him. Um, she's played by Rachel Weiss and she rekindles a friendship with school uh, childhood friend uh, played by Rachel McAdams uh, who's married to the up and coming rabbi the person who's going to take the Rav's position in the community they the film then develops into um, a place whereby they rekindle a lesbian relationship that they had when they were in their teens. And in a community like that, it's not something that goes down particularly well, particularly for uh, David, her her husband, who's now going to take this position in the community. So that's where the drama lies in this triangle. And it's, um, uh, you know, in many ways, it's a, I wouldn't quite call it a love story, it's just like a story about the complexity of human emotions, the complexity of what love is and a situation like that and all those things. So, so yeah, that, that was um, Ed Guiney, who works for, um, who runs Element Pictures with Andrew Lowe. He was a co-producer on it. So that's how I ended up on it. It was directed by Sebastian Lelio, who won the um, Best Foreign Language Oscar this year for a film called A Fantastic Woman. 
Um, so this was his first English language film. Okay. Um, so so yeah, it was it was fantastic. Great to work with the new director like Sebastian, who you know for him it was to jump into the unknown in many ways. He's from Chile, lives in Berlin. Okay. So it was like yeah, you know for him he was like you know. He wasn't. He wasn't going for an easy one for his first English language <laughs> yeah. film. He was stepping into you know tricky territory in many ways, but um, but he's just he's got an incredibly light touch. Um, great filmmaker, great person, and so that was shot in London. We went to Berlin for about eight or nine weeks. That's where he lives, just mm. to do a director's cut, and then mm. came back to London, started screening it, and so on. And okay. Rachel Weiss was one of the producers on it as well. So, okay. so yeah, it was just it was it was I think. To get back to the original point, it was the first film I ever worked on, I think, where we pretty much locked at the point where we said we would. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, usually we just, you know, there's a point in the schedule and it says lock and you yeah. go, yeah. <laughs> don't mind that. Yeah, yeah. We're always going to go a bit past that, you know. Yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, so, so we, we pretty much hit it, actually, in many ways. And the director's, the time in Berlin was really good because we were away from everything and we were just working on the film and it was just a lovely kind of experience working with Sebastian and you know it's good I think it's always good for a director particularly for the for the duration of a director's cut to be in a place where they can get to go home they don't feel overly pressurized by the fact that they're going to have to start screening this soon mm. screening it to execs and other people in the room that they may not have met who are now going to have opinions about the film so so the best place to go is to a bunker in Berlin well yes <laughs> you know I think in many ways yeah and it was like spring in Berlin which is quite quiet over there so that's a beautiful was, city yeah it's an amazing place yeah. it was my first time there and so yeah was 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 really good so so that you know as I said that was pretty much a six month process whereas Little Stranger was a year. a year and in many ways didn't feel like a year still felt like six months right but just you know I suppose the Little Stranger would have had more marks built into the schedule like test screenings mm. um, in London which would have been you know to full cinema full of people whereas okay. on Disobedience we only ever screen to yeah. executives yeah, and yeah, yeah. producers and people like that yeah. and was Little Strange a bit more complicated in terms of visual effects and that kind yeah of thing. like it's, you know without giving too much away yeah, yeah so without giving too much away like you know there were a lot of visual effects in the original schedule uh, in the original breakdown mm. and by the time we finished the film we doubled that wow <laughs> and it doesn't feel that way but a period film full stop and this is something I've learned mm. Every alarm box, everything, yeah. and and quite often you don't. Even though we work in a, a HD, we work in a like in offline. Yeah, we work in a decent enough resolution, yeah. and we were lucky enough to have a, a screen, like a, yeah. a small cinema screen in our in, in our editing room, which we've never had before. But even then, there were so many things that slipped by, and it was only when we saw it in full res, like in nearly 4K, where we were able to see certain things on walls and all this stuff, and that becomes then a visual effect shot. Things have to get scrubbed out and so on and so forth. And I mean, there's like in terms of the shooting style, it's a mixture of locked off and handheld. Handheld shots are trickier sometimes yeah. to remove these things out of. So, yeah, right. lads, who left a Panini sticker, World Cup <laughs> sticker album on the on the on the antique desk? Over Nothing there. as bad as that. But <laughs> but you'd be surprised by just people's feet you can see in right. like, and, and uh, there's a, the, at the centerpiece of. Um, the ho the house in which the film takes place there are about eight different eight or nine different mirrors and they were so careful in terms of reflections and seeing what what yeah. you could see or couldn't see but the odd time something would pop up and so i was never more nervous than when we were doing the grade i used to sit really close to the screen and just scan yeah, frame yeah. all the time with my yeah, eyes yeah. just to spot something you yeah. know how much of that responsibility would fall to you in terms of something well, slipping it, in it's all, it's on all of us really it's mm. it's director dp editor i mean i mean i suppose because i'd probably watch the film more than anyone mm -hmm. um i'd personally feel a responsibility to try and yeah. click with a lot of these things i mean without being ridiculous you know there's things you gotta let go and particularly if the budget of the film isn't particularly big you just go look mm. no one's if they're looking at that thing and they're not looking at what the actors are doing then we're in a bad place yeah you know and quite often you could, these things can be fixed by blowing a shot up or or stuff like that right. so yeah, yeah. but it, i just felt it it was a heightened 
thing on a period film yeah to spot this stuff because because yeah. you know as you say panini football sticker <laughs> it's gonna make you take you out of the moments yeah. in yeah, a more profound way than than a bus in another film you know so uh, um how important are research shoots generally do you always get to do them or are they a luxury i w- i would say they're a luxury it's interesting i had a conversation with another director about them recently and they were talking about you know a point whereby they were thinking of pausing the shoot of their film now this was they were shooting a film in a very documentary style so they could kind of do this and to work out what they should shoot next. And I, I was kind of thinking to myself, in some ways that's good, in some ways it's not. You always want to have borders. Mm. Like having endless possibilities isn't always necessarily a good thing. Yeah. And, it, and I, I've done a few recuts in my time and see, and come on board where they've just reshot something okay. and realise, oh, why did they reshoot? that per se right and yeah. sometimes it's based on test screenings mm-hmm. people saying they didn't understand something which is like toxic to a producer <laughs> a producer <laughs> what do you mean the producer yeah. or executive producer go we can't this film cannot go out there with somebody not understanding something okay yeah, you yeah. know and sometimes though that becomes the point of focus as opposed to wouldn't it have been better to reshoot something that just says that tells you a little bit more about a character mm. or a storyline. Just just off clear. point, if I can just yeah. interject. Um, I'm just curious to ask an editor about this. Uh, the spacey, all the money in the world debacle. Yes. And the reshoots and then the recuts yeah. and stuff like that. Um, that now Me watching that movie, like obviously apart from Mark Wahl- Wahlberg's weight, which fluctuates from shot to shot because <laughs> he's a lot bigger because he yeah, was prepping yeah. for another movie. Yeah. I mean, did that work? For you, have you seen that movie? Yeah, or? I have. I mean, from an editor's perspective, from an editor's perspective, the only thing there was maybe one visual effect shot um, early on where I think they superimposed the new Getty over space. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've literally saw oh, yeah, it. Yeah. It was in the and desert. It's in the desert, in the desert yeah, yeah, and yeah. I thought he looks a little big. <laughs> he looks a little big. Yeah. But aside from that, I thought it worked brilliantly. And actually, I. Look, I can't speak for Ridley Scott, but I would say in that situation, he maybe got a chance to correct some things in terms of emphasis or performance that he d- he mm. wouldn't have been able to do in the anarchy of a first shoot. Yeah. So actually, and he was actually his first choice. Was he? Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, I thought he was brilliant in it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so ah, we'd all say that, wouldn't we? Would yeah, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. He's my favorite granddad. Well, yeah, the studio wanted <laughs> yeah. Spacey, bigger, bigger name, and all that. Not anymore. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so back to the yeah, so reshoots and reshoots. Ge- yeah, exactly. So I, I tend, to, I tend, I tend to be really careful if I've ever if I'm ever asked about them. I tend to be extremely careful about w- what I might suggest is needed, and yeah. I would tend to be just what's the word? You know, the danger is people go, people will write almost a connecting scene that is oversteered in terms of correction, if you know what I mean. Like, mm. like, and then there's all this pressure on it to fix yeah. that bridge, storytelling bridge. And I just go, that's not, there's something not particularly organic about that. And I prefer finding those solutions in the edit suite. And I, if, you've, if you're lucky enough to work on a film that's shot for longer than six or seven weeks, more often than not, there's answers there without right. having to go back and reshoot right. just through the sheer volume of footage that you have yeah. and scenes that you've maybe lost. And quite often you can recut scenes to do some of that job, yeah. do some of that work for you. Or you might be missing a line of ADR or whatever. So, you know, I, I've never worked on a film where somebody had to reshoot a, a performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other thing. Right, yeah, yeah. But I just think it's fascinating reshoots. Like, I mean, on Frank, there were some pickups I wouldn't call reshoots. There were some pickups Pickups, of, um, and they were literally just a shot here, shot there. Mm. And, and I suppose it was like maybe two days of shooting. And unfortunately, Donal was going on to that. Um, the name escapes me. It was a film he was doing with Angelina Jolie, where he had to lose a lot of weight. Unbroken. Yeah, I actually, I was, uh, Uh, assisting on, on those for the pickup shoots. Oh, really? Oh, that's the one with the hands, isn't it? My arms, yeah. yeah, I think we've got a shot where, um, (laughs) 
Donald wasn't there, so you yes, my, uh, Lenny used my arms to pick up the head. Yeah, but I don't think you ended up using it in the final I'm cut. So sorry. That's, yeah, so sorry. That's sorry. It, 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 I did see that would have been so handy for I your know. career. Yeah, oh, <laughs> would have been the starting point. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens in an editing room. Careers are just <laughs> well. There he is. Like have it out with him now. He's here. Take him outside. That's okay. I was just happy to be there. But but you probably saw like so like Donald his weight was so different in those pickups yeah. we had to be really careful about what we used I, yeah. I think we may have used just one shot of him in the end poor know? guy yeah he was yeah. on like a ridiculous diet yeah. to cut down the weight uh, it was like like three bits of spar- asparagus and some tomato soup yeah exactly like, something like that yeah 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 but um, so yeah that you know as I say reshoots in that kind of world I'd be super careful about right. it you know yeah Um, I, I always remember this quote I read about art and it said the most important part of the picture is the frame. And I think that's what accumulated footage is in many ways. It's the frame and you just got to be careful before you, you know, and there's also, there's the added thing of, you know, if a director is shooting for six, seven, eight weeks, they get on a really good, they get to a really good place with the cast, particularly lead actors. Yeah where they're just in the zone, they're in the character, it's incredibly hard. And you even notice this when you do ADR uh, in a studio, it's incredibly hard. An actor may have done two, three other movies in the meantime while you're editing this film. I mean, maybe not that much, but... And for them to get back to that place, so tough, you know, so tough. Uh, and do you ever get a chance to sometimes uh, as an editor work as to, to shoot pickups or to direct or that Yeah, kind of like, so on, on Room, I would have done some second unit stuff yeah. in Toronto. And as I said, quite often the case is, I, you know, we myself and Lenny would be talking and, you know, in, in Room, there was a lot of material that we needed that was going to be Jack's point of view of the world for example and it just wasn't practical for Lenny to go and shoot that so yeah. they just give me a crew and we go out and shoot in parallel with him yeah. in like minus seven degrees in Toronto November <laughs> weather <laughs> the, right. the best jobs the best <laughs> jobs <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I mean what's funny about it is though you'd shoot all this material and then you'd have to come back and you'd then have to make it work <laughs> right. you know what I mean so oh, no so, so yeah, yeah so in yeah. that case I just tended to shoot a lot of it right. <laughs> so, so hopefully hoping that some of it would would start to would start to sing but at the same time it you know if you're i was more than happy to do it and more than happy to be asked but it's kind of it cuts out middlemen in many ways rather than another second year director coming in yeah and you telling them and the director telling them and then bringing you up while they're on set going is this the kind of thing and you're just sometimes you're just better off just go shoot yourself right and just and yeah. put it in and yeah, then yeah. see what lenny or the other if it's yeah. another director that feels about it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, the most I would have done it on was Room, I think. And then on Little Stranger, it was, again, it was a parallel shoot in one location where he just, just needed a lot of driving material, um, exteriors, nighttime, that kind of stuff, you yeah. know. So yeah. it's nice to, it's the kind of material that it's nice to spend a little bit of time on, that if it was main unit doing it, they'd just be shooting it off and getting it, crossing it off a list. Right. Whereas you're maybe given a little bit more time and luxury yeah. to go and do it. So, yeah. and again, if it's part of a, a proper main shoot, then quite often, you know, the cranes are there and all that other stuff. Cool. Yeah. Decent selection of lenses. Toys, Toys all that <laughs> stuff, you yeah. know. So you'd be hard pushed to get it if you asked for it six weeks into the edit. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, that kind of stuff. It's nice to do. I mean, I mean, it, I do. Th- I do think about. I, you know, when I'm when I'm editing any film, I try and approach it from the point of view of imagine you were directing this yourself in terms of trying to give a perspective and trying to give it, you know, a, as much attention to detail. But I'm always aware it's not my film. Yeah. It's their film, and you're reflecting their voice. Yeah. So yeah. therefore, you don't really get attached in in, in that. Capacity. Oh no, you, or get, you do while you're doing you it. You get but, deeply attached, deeply attached, and like you know, I can't. If I'm on a film, it's a funny experience I'm going through now. I haven't finished last week. Yeah. And it's not that it's not a a deflating one, but it is like you put so much emotional e- energy into it. It's a weird experience to come like to for your days to be normal again <laughs> and not have this. You realize that you don't make a cup of tea. You don't. 
put a child to bed without thinking about this other thing that's ticking in your head. Right. Why isn't that working? Could you even argue it's maybe slightly touching on kind of post-traumatic stress, that thing there's, about the war? You know, I, I wish I was back there, but I'm glad I'm home. Not, kind of thing. not to be like, you know, not to, you know, play fast and loose with people who, who actually have gone to war. You know, I wouldn't try and compare yeah. what I do to it's what they exactly do. It's exactly like you know, the but, front but, but in terms of emo- the emotional experience... Yeah. Um, From a psychological point Yeah, of view. a psychological point of view, it is that level of commitment, yeah. And this, and all that pressure that's with it as well, you know, and the amount of times you need to screen it, even amongst yourselves, even if it's just you mm. and a director and one producer or... or um, or whoever else you feel the pressure that it needs to work every single time you screens, you know, mm. and and um, and yeah. So it's it's come. It's I suppose it doesn't get any easier the older you get or the more experience you get. Each time it's a bit kind of yeah, yeah. yeah it's a it's a it's a bit of a bubble, you know, and um, uh, but but it's addictive at the same time. Yeah, like very addictive. And do you yeah. need do you need a, like. I know you had a crossover there, but generally, would you try and have a month or two in between projects? Uh, it depends, really. I tend to be a bit of a, I'm probably a little bit of a workaholic. Right. Um, so that if you were to put something down in front of me now that I thought was really interesting, I'd just dive in. Right. But it probably would be a bad idea. I probably should take a month or two off. You know what right. I mean? So so at the moment, at this point in time, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what's next. So... I'm, it's kind of being forced. Probably a divorce, but it sounds possibly like. <laughs> that's always hanging in the air <laughs> when you do this job. But um, and but is it scripts? Are you going off mainly scripts or? Yeah, you go off scripts yeah. and you go off Teams. like like. So I've been with, I've had um, agents for about two, just over two years now. Yeah. So you tend to get sent stuff, and they're based in the states. So you tend to get sent stuff from all over like really the States or Britain. And um, sometimes it's a recode of a film or sometimes it's just something that's going into production. So is that, would that be kind of doctoring, kind of edit doctor? Is that something um, you do? I wouldn't, co- I wouldn't phrase it that way. Right. And and it's, it's sometimes it's a variety of situations. An editor, something has happened, they have to move off. Okay. Or they just feel that they've come to the place where they've, done all they can it's an impasse so they need it's an impasse else. exactly or some this is rare but some cases they may themselves and the director may have fallen out okay or in some cases a producer may intervene and feel that the relationship the director editor relationship is is too close mm. that they can't get them to interrogate something new a new idea or something mm-hmm. that they feel isn't working or test screening with information is saying this isn't working or whatever so sometimes you come on but it's for a very short period of time it's like could be anywhere between two to six weeks you know and sometimes the film changes a lot sometimes it barely changes but in those situations I just try and take the first two weeks and say just I'm not going to talk to you for two weeks I'm just going to I'm just going to I won't have time to even watch all the footage but I'm just going to give you a good instinct reaction to this to what i would do with this film now yeah and sometimes then the director goes oh that's interesting here here and here or they might go no this isn't the direction i wanted at all let's go back to where i was before okay uh and so sometimes uh, and then sometimes a producer might intervene and go no i do like this or so it's about managing yeah. people's expectations and where they want the film to go but ultimately always it, a, a director has to stand by the film by the end of it so so yeah like in those situations re- they're, they're, they're politically very very difficult right uh, but creatively fascinating just yeah. coming in and just throwing new ideas at that point in the, in, in the film you yeah know? so so yeah so but going back to your original um, story uh, your original question is it script always is the thing yeah. that number one and then if you're you might have a Skype with the director if they're yeah. interested in talking to you and Sometimes it's based on, uh, it's less so much based on what they've done before for me. Uh, it's more based on how well you click with them and how well, you, you know, because you know you're going to spend a lot of time with this person. Yeah. Mm, in yeah. a small room. In a yeah. small room. And it's like you're going to talk about stuff which are, you know, ideas are personal. And yeah. people get very defensive about ideas. So yeah. you have to be able to 
have somebody say to you, no, I don't think that's a good idea and mm. not take it personally. Mm. And similarly, you're going to have to explore things with them where you might think mightn't think it's a good idea, but you're going to have to push ahead and mm. interrogate. And as I said before, you know, by making sure that the door isn't closed on that, then then that can bring you to places that you didn't expect before. Yeah. Leave the door ajar. Leave the do- always leave the door ajar. Yeah. Would you have any advice for filmmakers on how to approach post-production and editing? Is there any like mistakes that you see a lot? Um, Especially young mm. filmmakers. I, I think there's a danger. Look, this is not to do... I think there's always a danger with younger younger filmmakers and first-time filmmakers for anyone who's worked on a few films to maybe patronise them. That's the last thing I'd ever want to do. Because I think, you know, it goes hand in hand. New filmmakers should be allowed to express new ideas. It's what the form is crying out for, you know. Um, But at the same time, I suppose, there's always a danger sometimes with uh, a new director uh, to maybe feel that if they've shot the script then they've achieved it. And they, they, there's a danger that through the stress of just getting it shot mm. and then the stress of just putting it together and, and having it function as a, as a story that, mm. that has a start, middle and end, that they've gotten to the end of the process. And, that, and that's where they find it hard. Then they, they've put their heart and soul into that. And then they show it to people. And people sometimes people mightn't be 100% honest with them. Or sometimes they're too honest with them and there's a reaction there and they and they get into a defensive position and say, no, this is it. I mean, the whole brilliant, the brilliant thing about nonlinear technology is that's great. That's that cut of the film. Let's yeah. park that. But let's let's go and play around with this. Right. And I suppose the thing I would say to anyone is try and take. The stre- it's, it's a hard place to get to, but you need to have deadlines to keep you coming in every day. But it's important to take the stress out of storytelling because nothing good gets made that way. Okay. It's about really just exploring and having fun with material and having fun with what you've made. And I suppose just letting it take, letting it take you to places and, and stop tra- like not being so prescriptive and being so hard on things. And I think what's interesting with you directors is how it's letting them on set feel like, you know, um, that they can go through ten takes and that they can be totally different in each different each time, you know. But they should always be trying to get to somewhere, you know. Rather than mm. uh, the most the, the worst <coughs> situations I've ever seen any new director get into is where they undershoot. Right. Where they do two takes and they say, "Well, that's exactly as I wanted it." Mm. Okay. Because then the doors are getting closed. The doors closed. The doors closed. Yeah, I read this quote from Clint Eastwood. He said he only does two takes. And I know. Yeah, it's like it's dangerous, you know. I mean, to be fair, I imagine Eastwood might do two takes, but he shoots the coverage. You know mm. what I mean? So, mm. or certainly his long-standing relationship with his editors. Look, if anybody good. knows, he has it in one or two takes with the level of experience as some, you know, something mm. like that. You know, if you're 25 with the greatest of respect, you're not Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly uh, Unless you know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean. You know, people respect somebody on set, and I mean, the on on set politics is all—they're all about the guy in charge. Does he know what he's doing? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and and actually, I, I think it's more refreshing to, that a person goes, "I don't always know what I'm doing, mm. but I'm exploring, and please come on this journey with me." Yeah. You know, and I think that's the same for everyone—be it DPs, production designers, editors. They they have an instinct, and ultimately they're employed because they have good tastes and all those things. Mm. They don't always absolutely know what they're going to do every single day, and that's good. That's refreshing, you know. It's a very good note to to kind of, I, I suppose, to press on people, especially you know the tar- target audience of this podcast in particular. You know, mm. if you don't know the answer to a question, it's okay to say I don't know. Well, yeah, you know, absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Instead of making up some sort of trite, you know, over elaborate kind of response you think people want to hear. Yeah, it's the same yeah. when you're working, you're shorthand. Well, no, absolutely. Like, I mean, I mean, it, it, I think post-production is different because there's, there's less people that you have to feel like you're being, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm talking Court-martialed about... Court-martialed in front of. Yeah, exactly. Whereas being on a set is so, like, you know, mm. a director is expected to know 
about lens sizes, about camera formats, yeah. about uh, and that's aside from just working with actors, yeah. you know, yeah. and then understand about coverage and why some things Making work and won't the day work. And, yeah. Making the day and all of that, and then and things that are coming down the line and all this stuff. So you know, I think the ones who are happy to say. I don't know yet, but I'll come back to you or leave that with me. Let me think about it. Are the ones that ultimately are successful because they're not just going to throw out. It's not it's not about performing like, you know, what you're doing. It's about just saying, look, I employed I'm here with all you great people because film is a collaborative medium. That's the most important thing. And to I'm employing you to help me with this. (laughs) So help me, you know. So, yeah, like, uh, you know, I always remember that line from. Uh, was it Philadelphia, the Denzel Washington film, where he, as a lawyer, he says, "Now explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old," and those are the people I trust in film, right? Because you know, they're the ones who are going, "Yeah, this this is something new, something different. Explain that to me." Okay, I got it now, mm-hmm. and then move on, you know, rather than mm-hmm. just bluffing all the time. You know? Yeah, it's only easy if you know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's an ever-evolving medium, and you know, particularly if you're new to it, you know. Yeah. And I think. I think for for any director, you know, it's good to have a sense of where you want to get to, but but that changes on a daily basis, and it's being able to roll with that. I think is the hard thing, and that's both the same for in a shoot and also during post. You know, so um, like you know, quite often some editors will say when they you know they'll assemble a film and go, "There's as shot, there's an assembly." Now let's start cutting the film for real now. And let's not start at the start. Let's just jump in. Let's look yeah. at this scene, scene 72. Yeah. Mm. What were you thinking there? And that goes both ways. And the director goes, you've put it together this way. What were you thinking? Yeah. And you go, oh, let's talk about it. And then the director goes, what I was thinking was. Yeah, yeah. And then you just start to play with it, start yeah. playing with it. And then, I mean, ultimately, you'll then get to a place where you've got, you know, at least a version of the film with more thought behind it and more opinions. And that's when you then start to go, linear and start to follow the thread of characters and go you know like particularly on frank for example you know we did two or three passes where we followed an individual character from start to end and only did that only just checked what they were doing in each and every scene that was quite far down the line right but it's also a case of what are they doing is that funny enough there or should we pair that back or so you know and that's the great luxury of extended uh, schedules that you get on film that mm. you don't get in TV or in, yeah. you know that you get to do those kind of things but ultimately that's what that's why you're given that time yeah to go it's down to be sitting blind around. alleys to go down blind well, alleys exactly, and come yeah. back work your way yeah. back out yeah um, maybe just to finish off any pearls of wisdom for people who want to edit who would love to edit features well like more I would say more than anything the world is your oyster now like more than ever before because you know, if you not only like even to get footage before was impossible, but you could you can cut a documentary from just clips of material that's on YouTube now mm. and additional footage that you might shoot yourself. You could just do it from scratch now yeah. because nothing's stopping you. There's yeah. nothing stopping anyone from <laughs> editing now yeah. in terms of the t- technology is all free. Yeah. It, you can do it on a laptop that is like eight, nine years old if needs be. Yeah. You don't have to spend very much money if you it's it's a even if you don't want to ultimately edit in the end i would recommend anyone who works in film just to spend a bit of time doing it just to find out a little bit more about themselves and about the kind of stories they do want to tell mm. so you know if you feel more comfortable doing it out like putting something together out of material you've shot yourself just go out and shoot a mini documentary or a music video like mm. it doesn't have to be standard narrative it doesn't have to be drama you know, like music videos are just the most amazing in for somebody who might end up cutting, com- might end up shooting commercials or editing commercials or any of that kind of stuff. And quite often bands are just crying out for somebody mm. to put together something yeah. for them. So, uh, you know, uh, that's all I'd say is the world's your oyster. Everything is out there, you know. Yeah, you've no excuse. There's stuff yeah. out there. Yeah. So cut it together. Yeah. <laughs> play. Yeah, exactly. Play, you know, discover. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned just kind of scripts and that. what are the kind of stories that really excite you or that you love working uh, I suppose something that tells you a little bit more about the human condition um, and and whatever shape that takes 
I'd be interested in doing. So it ultimately has to maybe have an emotional journey for me. And that can be a dark emotional journey or it can be an uplifting one or it can be one that just has a twist or whatever. But I just find it has to be about something I can relate to. Mm. Not that I lived a life similar to any of the characters in any of the films I've worked on, but I've but I think anyone can relate to them emotionally. And I think that's mm. something that appeals to me always. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is to try and not repeat something that you've done before in terms of the narrative form it's taken, you know. So if I feel that there's a danger, I'd find myself repeating myself to a degree. Mm. I'd be careful about that. So I think when I go back to when I say emotional journey, I just mean there has to be a certain truth to the story that you can relate to. Then I think that film can bring you anywhere. So I suppose they're the two things that would always click with me, you know. And I mean, like, you're not always in a position that you can, that you're lucky enough to say, oh, this is brand new and I've never done something like this before. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm reinventing the wheel. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you go, yeah, that's, that could be interesting. And any film is that, is, is, it could be good. And of course, the minute you're on it, you do everything in your power to make it good. It's the curiosity, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a curiosity and it's a journey and all of that stuff. Um, and if it's going to be six months or a year, it's not like just going on and crewing and doing a couple of <laughs> yeah. months. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's a really big, it's a it. commitment. And it's, as I said to you before, if you, if you like, I do what I do for nothing. I really would. I, I really it's love funny you should do. mention that because <laughs> yeah. I have this lovely have this thing. Have this, <laughs> have this thing. <laughs> we, maybe we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, you know, as I say, very lucky to do the job. But, you know, yeah, any situation is a seven, eight month commitment. Mm. So you want to make sure that there's enough in it for you, you know, ultimately at the end of the day. Yeah, cool. Well, I think that's a, a good place to leave it. We'll take I hope so. Yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> that was great.